Plus We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me is, well, no one. Yeah, it's just me. See, it's Christmas Eve, and I'm recording this on my own because something amazing happened. Last week, we didn't do a show, you probably noticed, and the reason we didn't do a show is because I was in L.A., and I had the amazing opportunity to speak to the one and only Jason Stapleton. That's right. I went to L.A. and I got to sit across the table from him. Now, if you've listened to the show, you know how important this guy is to me. And it was just the most amazing experience ever. And we had an amazing conversation about what I've been through the past year. So Ethan and I decided that that would be what we were going to show you as our episode for this week. We will be back, maybe not next week, because next week is New Year's, probably in the new year. But I just wanted to take this opportunity to wish you all um, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And from me and Ethan, I hope this is the best time of year for you. And if it's not, I hope you can find some kind of peace and find a friend that can help make it a little easier for you. Um, Either way, we love you and thank you very much for making this such an amazing year for both of us. And we look forward to hanging out with y'all again in 2020. So without any further delay, this is the episode of Wealth, Power, and Influence, Jason Stapleton's podcast that we were on. And if you have a minute, go check out his show because it's really good. It's very, very, very influential in my life. And I really do hope that you get something out of this episode. And if you're new to us, well, this is going to give you a look into me that, well, you probably just never had before. So enjoy and thanks again and we'll see you in the new year. Well, what's up my homies? Welcome back. It's, what is today? It's Monday. It's Monday. We're on vacation right now. That's what we, you think we're here, but we're really not. Unless, of course, you're part of the insider group, and then you're getting a chance to watch this episode a little bit early. Uh, It is the holiday season. I have family in town. I'm spending it with my loved ones, and I thought, what better thing to do uh, the the week of uh, of joy, the week of remembering, the week of appreciation, and you know, kind of like I don't. I just thought that today was a good day to talk with um, somebody that I we, I have known for a long time, but we've never officially met. You have been someone who's been actively involved in our group for I mean since for as long as I it's been a long time, a long right? Time. Yeah? yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, his name is Vincent Ferrari, and he has an incredible story. And I got to tell you, we got thousands uh, between the different people who follow and the people who comment and stuff with thousands and thousands of people and a lot of them I recognize by name and I recognized your name before I I found out uh, what was going on in your life but I think I really became aware of who you were when you started talking about your treatment for cancer yeah and um, so the fact that you're here sitting across from me today um, you know, you've been, I've been on your show before mm-hmm. you, you're, you've got, uh, what's the name of the podcast? Again? Podcast is because we make, because we make, mm-hmm. I've been on your podcast and you know, we've, we've commented back and forth, but in reality, you're, uh, you've talked a lot about how, you know, inspirational I've been to you, to you in your life. But I got to tell you, man, I, 
I don't know how you have done what you've done in the last year. Like I look at you as an inspiration to me and to everybody, which is why I really am glad that you're here talking with us all because it's it's a it's an incredible story. I I always get uncomfortable when people say I'm an inspiration because I don't know how to handle that. You know, it's kind of weird when you're just kind of living your life and something happens and you do a decent job of dealing with it and then somebody says, holy crap, you're an inspiration to me. That's, that's amazing. But yeah. yeah, I'm starting to be okay with people saying that because I realized it's taken a long time, but I realized like just the enormity yeah. of what I've been through. So let's talk, I don't want to hold everybody in suspense for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have had, you've had cancer mm-hmm. in the last year or so mm-hmm. and you've been through a radical treatment plan. And mm-hmm. at the same time, you've also done a lot of other pretty incredible things. So yeah. let's just kind of start at the beginning and talk to me about where your life was prior to you being diagnosed with esophageal cancer. So I was, I had just started, I had just started a new job in May of 2018 and everything was going great. And I went to dinner with my, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, and my nephew. And we were sitting at the table, and I took a bite of my sandwich, and it wouldn't go down. Like, I just, I puked it right back up. Like, like it got lodged in your throat? Like, it was like? literally okay. sitting in my throat. Like, gotcha. I could feel it there. And it was this, it was, I had a panic attack because I have something called emetophobia, which means you're really scared of puking. And I had a real bad panic attack. I puked on the table. I was mortified because you're, I'm in a diner. You don't want to do that in public. You don't right. want to be that guy. They think you're hungover or whatever. And that weekend, no food could go down. Like I had a real bad problem getting food down. Um, eventually, it got to a point where I could kind of eat and I would just manage it. And I've got, it was manageable for a while until about the middle of October. So how, how many months was that? So that was in June. It was the, week, it was the Friday before Father's Day. Um, and then I, in September, I realized it was getting really, really bad. So I made an appointment with um, a gastroenterologist, and he did a scope at the end of October. And I get the phone call, and he said, uh, Mr. Ferrari, I need you to come in. I need you to come in with your wife. And you never want to hear that from a doctor. You never want to hear you need to come in with your wife, that we have something to talk about. Yeah, because you know that's not good news. No, it's There's like, no way that's good yeah, news. Yeah, good news they'll tell you over the phone. Right. right? Bad news they want to tell you in person. Yeah. So I go in there and he goes, so I have good news and bad news. The good news is that you, the bad news is you have cancer. And I'm like, does the good news even matter at this point? He said, the good news is it's what's called an adenocarcinoma, which is very treatable. There is a treatment path. It's very successful in cases like yours, even though you have no ability to eat food anymore. Yeah. Um, So I started on Ensure. I was basically on a liquid diet. While they figured out a course of treatment. Now you you were relative. You were pretty overweight. I at was this time very too, heavy yeah? at that yeah. point. When this whole thing started, I was three hundred and forty-two pounds. By the time I got to the doctor, I was two seventy-nine. So I had dropped seventy pounds in about five months. Did, did you not? I'm always curious about this because I'm I'm this way. You're kind of like oh, I'll just it's 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 not that big a deal. I'll just go <sighs> on. But when you drop when you drop in like twenty pounds a month, it's well, are you not like hey, this might be more serious. You know, the truth is, I know this is horrible, but I was so fat that it was kind of nice to not be fat anymore. Yeah. And what I ended up finding out is my doctors told me that had I come in at 342, there was nothing they could have done for me anyway. Really? Like they, I couldn't have fit in the radiation machine properly. Um, they couldn't have given me enough chemo that wouldn't kill me. So going in at the weight I did, even though it was terrible that I waited that long and the, the tumor had gotten that bad, 
the good part of it was that at least, you know, I was treatable at that size. Right. So if you had come in earlier, they'd have been like, you got to lose, lose weight? weight. I, would, I would have had to wow. get down to where I ended up going in anyway. So I, even if I went in early, which is why I don't regret not going in early. I mean, I should have, yeah. but I don't regret it because they couldn't have done anything for me anyway. What is, so what, what is going, what's going through your mind? To, I, I, I really want people to understand. I, I think people see... I think people see this type of thing after it's done. And of course you're sitting here and you're mm -hmm. healthy now and you're in the best shape of your life and you got a great story to tell. But that day you're sitting there in a doctor's office and he says you got cancer but it's treatable. What do you go through emotionally? I was absolutely stunned. Like yeah. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I legit thought I was going to die. Cuz everyone, I mean, you know, you think cancer, I'm going to die. You yeah. don't think cancer, I can survive this cancer, I can fight this. My immediate thought was I'm going to die and this sucks and I'm 42 years old and I'm gonna die of cancer at 42 years old. Yeah. And so they set me up with a surgeon, a thoracic surgeon, and I went in for the first consult and he starts talking to me about, you know, hey, we've done this before, you know, we've seen maybe not as bad as yours, but what we wanna do is we're gonna start chemo and radiation to shrink the tumor enough so that we can cut it out. And I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, and we're also gonna do this. And he takes out a piece of paper and he draws my stomach, right? And he just puts a line through the top third, like draws my esophagus and my stomach and draws a line through. He goes, we're just gonna take this off and we're gonna pull your stomach up. I'm like, wait, you're gonna do what? <laughs> and so basically the way I'm configured now, I have no esophagus anymore. The top of my stomach is basically at the top of my lungs and my stomach is stretched and sits behind my now you and we talked about this before the show, but you were you were not a smoker. You, nope. you don't drink, don't smoke, no drugs, no, nothing I, like I, that. Except for being lazy, I really had no problems with like my health. Yeah, you know the overweight wasn't even caused by poor eating. I was a pretty good eater. I just was super super lazy. Yeah, and you know lack of activity literally was what was pouring on the pounds. W what did you do professionally? I was I, I was in IT. Okay. Yeah, so, she sat at a desk all day, desk. every yeah. day. Yeah, sedentary, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's really funny because you think about, like, what do you do in IT? Well, you go computer to computer, but that's, like, one-tenth of your day. Most of right. your day is on your butt at a computer. Yeah. And it really, I was piling on pounds really bad. That's the most difficult thing for me is just getting up and getting active enough because my job is talking and typing. Yeah. My job is sitting here talking now. It's going to go home and sit down and work on sales copy. Totally. And it's just like I getting up and staying active. is. If people knew my, my calorie count a day is something like 1,500 calories. Yeah, that's about where 15 I'm 15 to 1,800 calories mm -hmm. is about all I will consume because it's what I, I mean, I, otherwise I have to work out three hours. Hours a day. I ha I'm at like 1,200 to 1,500, yeah. and if I if I'm not careful, I'll put on weight at that calorie yeah. count, which is ridiculous to me, right? Yeah. Like, I was eating probably 2,500 and not active, but it was yeah. 2,500. But it wasn't like bad calories, you know. There wasn't bad calories. I wasn't like binging on junk food. Yeah. But I was just eating too much, and yeah, I yeah. wasn't active enough. So, at, at what at what point after they tell you they're going to cut out your esophagus and that you're pro and you're thinking well I'm probably going to die from this at, at what point does it become well you know what I I'm I'm going to fight cuz I I feel like every cancer patient at some point says I'm going to fight I'm going to fight this and you almost have to mentally to not just go into a very dark ugly place I remember going home that day the day I got my diagnosis I remember going home that day not the day with the surgeon the day I got my diagnosis um, I remember going home and sitting there and going, okay, what do I have, what do I, what do I have to do? Really, I don't have anything to do, right? Because once this, is, once this starts, 
there's nothing I can do. All I can do is just kind of, you know, everybody says they're going to fight. You're not going to, you're not going to fight, right? You're not going to fight. Your doctors are going to give you stuff. They're going to, they're going to blast you with radiation. They're going to fill you with poison and hope that your, your cancer dies before you do. That's literally what cancer treatment is. And I, I am not putting it down. It worked, but you know, there's nothing to fight. You don't really fight cancer. The doctors do. So what, what I decided very early on is I was not going to waste energy feeling sorry for myself. And I was not going to waste energy thinking I should have gone earlier. I should have got the acid reflux treated faster. Um, I should have done, I should have, should have, should I was not going to do that. And you had, I forget her name. I forget her name, but right around the time I got my, the diagnosis, you had the UCLA gymnastics coach on. Valerie yeah. Field. Yes. Valerie. Um, her, her, um, be anxious for nothing, be grateful for all things became my motto at that point because I really understood that I can't worry about this. I just have to be grateful that I happen to live in an area and this is the incredible, most incredible coincidence. And you know, if you don't believe in God, cool, but you know, this might make you believe in, make me believe in God, right? I moved into a house in 2012 and in 2015 or 2017, the hospital near my house got one of the most advanced radiation machines in the country. Like it's like used in like the high end radiation clinics. And that's when I needed it. And it yeah. was five minutes from my house. Like the most advanced treatment I could get was right in front of me. And I just had to go and get it. So that's what I did. I, you know, said, all right, I'm ready to fight. Let's fight. And the worst part of it was the whole month of November was testing and, you know, making sure I was fit for it and blood work and constant doctor visits and consultations and terrifying things like people, you know, we're going to cut out half your stomach, third of your stomach at the, at best, you're going to have a really awkward life afterwards. And it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be a long recovery. You're going to be 10 days in the hospital minimum. And I was scared, man. Wait, and again, you say, I'm going to fight. I, I found, I think it's interesting the way you said it. You said, I, I went home and, and I realized that I couldn't do anything. I'm not, there's nothing I can do other than go through the process, mm -hmm. right? And and I think that I think that there is something liberating in the idea that I am. It is this is out of my. I I release this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember growing up. One of the things that I used to when we used to sit in church. One of the things that the pastor would constantly say is that you got to just you give it to God mm -hmm. and you just release it as something. You, you say it's out of my hands. This is actually something. I, in this case, I cannot control. Yeah. And that there is something therapeutic in that, and yeah. and, and saying I'm I'm going to do what I can do. I'm not giving up, but I. I can't control it. I have to listen to the people that know better. That's right. pretty much my mind, what my mindset was like. These are experts, right? I'm not dealing with people that have never dealt with. Luckily, my surgeon had done this surgery. He said he does three of them a week. That's how many people That's have That's insane. This. That's how many people three have that? Yeah. yeah. Um, what's crazy, and you know, you look at the little things and you go, wow, I really got lucky. Most people don't find this cancer till they're like 55 or 60. Right. And a lot of people at that age are not candidates for the surgery anymore. And a lot of people die from it. The five-year survival rate is like 15%. It's ridiculous. Like, you die from this. Because by the time you find it, you're too old to have the surgery, and you just die. That's it. Yeah. And so my mindset was, I'm, I can't do anything but what they tell me to do, so I'm going to be like a star patient. And that's what I did. Like, I was on time for every chemo appointment. I never canceled the doctor's appointment. I did every single thing the doctors asked of me, no matter how much I thought it was ridiculous. I did it. 
and I got through chemo and radiation in six weeks. It was hard. Um, I was working half days. Yeah. Like the chemo and radiation, just I was exhausted. Um, and I got through it, and everything went well. And then they, they said, okay, we have to let you rest now because we want to do this. So this was the middle of January. It was like January 11th was my last treatment. They said, we got to let you rest because you can't give your body, your body can't handle surgery right now. Uh, my blood counts were a mess. I was a disaster. The chemo just ravaged me. Yeah. I was mostly healthy. I didn't have a lot of side effects from the chemo, but I was in bad shape. My numbers, my overall health was not good. So they let me rest. And after two weeks of chemo, I was eating normally again. So it was pretty amazing to be eating again. Right. And then after the chemo and radiation, I just went back to a normal life. Like everything, like nothing had happened. I was lighter and happier and I didn't have a tumor blocking my stomach anymore and I could eat and everything went great. And I was thinking, okay, this is awesome. And I start doing the consultations for the surgery and that's when it really started getting scary because when they start talking about what they're gonna do, you just think about your body, right? You, you, you're used to your throat goes a certain way and it goes down into your stomach and you just eat and you don't think about it. Now think about your stomach behind your lungs, literally behind my lungs. And I'm, I'm panicking. I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I did the worst thing you could possibly do. I started looking at like survivor groups on, on the internet and I started reading stories from people. And boy, was that a dumb move. Yeah. Because like you start reading the stories and it's like this guy's like, yeah, I have to sleep on a wedge pillow permanently and I can't lay on my back and I can't. And I'm just like, these are major life changes. Like it's not just eating less anymore. And I really got scared. And I had a panic attack the day before I was off for surgery. I had a major panic attack at work and I just exploded crying. And the owner of the company came over to me. He's like, dude, what's the matter? I was like, I did the dumbest thing possible. I started reading survivor stories. He goes, what the F is wrong with you, man? You don't read that stuff. You don't need to hear that. Look, he goes, look, and he pulls his arm out. And he's got this big scar and he told me this whole story, how he got it. And he's like, I was supposed to lose this arm and I survived. He goes, you're going to be fine. He goes, it's going to be hard. And you know what? You've already been through one hard thing. So it's just another hard thing you're going to have to go through. And believe it or not, that was all I needed. Like I just needed to be told, yeah, it's, it's going to be okay, but it's going to be really hard. Imagine, I am, it's so crazy to me how many times what I needed in my life was somebody to say, this too will pass. Like, this is okay. You are going to be Winners okay. Win. Win. Yeah, Winners win. Like, th this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. Yeah. And, and it, it, there are people who have gotten through this before, and that means you can too. Mm -hmm. And just having somebody believe for you is I mean, just the 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 I don't know, the the mental stress relief that comes from that it's, is pretty incredible. It's pretty outrageous, yeah. 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 And you know, I, I was very lucky. I had I had very supportive friends. I had, my wife was very supportive. Right. Everything was everything was really great. Like I I've seen people go through it on their own, and I'm glad I didn't have to do that. Like yeah. I had a great support system, and I needed every bit of it because the la the first day of March I was scheduled to have the surgery. I was absolutely terrified of that surgery. But that wasn't the only thing that you were doing at the time either. No. We, we were talking, um, one of the things that became apparent to me is that we, this was, 
we had been talking a lot about entrepreneurship and just the importance of that. And you had kind of before your diagnosis had started, a, a, you know, making, um, doing some jewelry and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you hadn't really done much with it. No, and it was... It was funny because the little bit that I had, I was panicking. Like I was starting surgery and I was like, I got to shut this down for two weeks. I'm going to lose everything. Like I'm not going to have anything to come back to. Like this is, I thought I was ruining it by having, like cancer, I didn't give a damn if cancer took my life. I was more upset that it was taking this little thing that I had worked so hard to build. <laughs> and I, I know looking back on it, obviously that's super irrational, but you're not thinking rationally. Then you're thinking like, oh my God, this is the one thing I really do stand to lose. Like I'm going right. to lose this. Yeah. And yeah, luckily I didn't. Yeah, I got really lucky. Well, you you ended up, and this is what I I remember when I started hearing about your your diagnosis and your treatment and everything. And you were number one. One of the things I noticed is that you were really really upbeat about everything. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that's just what you do because you're like, dude, I can't I can't allow the negativity. So I'm just going to be I'm going to constantly promote this aura of being excited and being happy and being confident. I imagine it was, as you said before, wasn't always that way. But I was just impressed with you constantly being someone positive. I had I had moments where I would be sitting in the car and I would just cry. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel fair. Yeah. Like, why me? You know, I think everyone that gets that diagnosis just goes, why me? And in the end, I, I kind of just put it aside. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, 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 you can't dwell on why. It happened. That's it. You know, I really, I learned that. I had to be taught it this way. And it sucks that I had to be taught it this way. But that was what happened. It was, I, the positivity was just, I have two ways I can approach this. I could wallow in being really sorry about it. And, you know, I kind of believe that your mindset determines how well you heal from stuff like this. Absolutely. And I don't, I'm not one of those, like, you know, visualize something and it comes true. But I am very big on if you really focus your energy in a certain direction, you're going to get results. And I wanted to focus it in the direction of I'm going to get better. I'm going to heal from this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Hey, so then... So again, one of the things you are very positive, and also one of the other things I saw is that as as we started talking about this, and we started the winners group and the winners list, you jumped on board that, and then that then I started watching. People think I don't pay attention to that, but I look. I don't. I don't communicate a lot, but I'm watching and paying attention, and I'm seeing you in there talking about your business and what you're doing mm -hmm. and you're making connections with other people mm -hmm. to you know and stuff that's that's helping you grow your business and grow your exposure you you're doing a podcast mm -hmm. talking about other people who are who are manufacturing and creators right and i'm thinking isn't this guy going through cancer treatment <laughs> like isn't this guy literally getting radiation on thursday and yeah. then doing his doing his podcast like, a, a lot of people have joked with me they're like your mornings are more productive than my days yeah like you'd get more done before 10 o'clock by than the eight hours i'm at work yeah you know i get that done by 10 o'clock and then i go to work yeah you know it's just that's my that's where I, my head is like that's what i'm into like i want to grow this i right. want this thing to be big and you know taking a cue from you i wanted to I wanted to just, I wanted to have a brand. So that's why I started the podcast. And it's really made me some crazy connections. Yeah. You know, it's. It, well, it's a great show, too. It, and the, um, what's the name of the show is? Because We Make. Because We Make. And you guys should, I was on it. I'm not saying that just because I was <laughs> on the show. I'm saying the reason I, we, I came on the show, because I get a lot of requests, was because 
we listened to it, and I'm like, dude, this is actually really, you know, this is a really entertaining so, show. I wanted it to be, it's funny, because I wanted it to be because, uh, behind the music for the making space. And what ended up happening was, I got to like episode 11, and I was like, this is not sustainable. Like, I can't have a guest every week. I'm just going to run out of guests. So then I got a co-host. He was a guest, and after the episode, I jokingly said at the end of the episode, I was like, you know, really cool. Maybe he'll be back next week as a co-host. I don't even remember saying this. Apparently, I did say this on the episode. And then afterwards, I was like, wow, we had really good chemistry. I should bring him on as a co-host. And that changed the whole show mm. because now I can do the show. You know, if we have a guest, cool, we have a guest. Let's do the guest. If we don't have a guest, I can talk to my co-host. Yeah. And it's worked out really, really well. And we've had the best growth since he came on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you brought you brought this to me, which is super nice of you. But um, it's my it's for those of you listening to this and you can't see uh, it's a it's a plaque with in glass with my emblem on it, my my company emblem. And so this is the type of stuff that you're making. So I yep. thought it was just I thought it was just jewelry you were doing. But you so, do a lot of different. Stuff. It's funny that the, the, the thing I always wanted to do. So in high school, I had <laughs> this is a funny story, actually. In my senior year, I needed an elective to fill out my schedule. And it's like, there's all kinds of garbage electives in high school. And I saw jewelry, and I'm like, well, that's going to be a good way to meet chicks. <laughs> like, what guy is going to take jewelry, right? And what ended up happening was I ended up enjoying that class more than I've enjoyed any class I ever took in any of my education. And I always said that one day I was just going to start making jewelry professionally. Like, I wanted to do that. And one day just happened to start. And it was like, wow, I kind of have a knack for this. It's, it's working. Mm -hmm. And so the jewelry is actually my big seller, but then the custom wood stuff is what makes me the real money. Yeah. So the jewelry sells well. I like selling the jewelry. I like making the jewelry. I like doing custom jewelry for people. I have a certain style of things that I make, and you know, Amy has a piece right now, actually. Yeah. Um, but I really, the, the woodworking is what's, what makes me the actual big money right you know if you can call it big money <laughs> well i mean it's a it's a great model uh, it's one that i don't even i i've never been in that business i've never actually been in the uh the the physical products business mm -hmm. i've worked with quite a few people on the marketing and branding of that because that doesn't really change much but right i mean it's a it is a it's one of those businesses where once your pieces get you it's it's a business i was talking with a guy who makes watches uh, when i was in a coach store last year in new york and I, I was sitting down and we were talking about watches he says he's making custom jewelry bracelets and watches and he was talking about being able to sell them and how he's been having trouble with it and i said you know i'm in a coach store and you got a watch in there for like 500 bucks or whatever it was mm -hmm. and i said why do you think somebody pays 500 bucks for that watch rather than just going to walmart and getting one that'll tell time too i mean you can they talk about the quality and the craftsmanship and all of that but that's not really what it is it's really the brand that you establish you what so one of the big things i make is custom cutting boards and people love them right and i make cutting boards i charge about 150 dollars for a cutting board you can go into Walmart and buy a $20 cutting board. But if you look at what I make, you can see why it's a $150 cutting board. And you just have to trust that when you tell people that your stuff is worth that, it actually is. And part of that is believing that what you sell is actually worth what you're selling yeah. it for. You know, and one of my favorite podcasters um, said once that if you give people your price and the answer is immediately yes every time, your prices are too low. You should get some no's. And if you're not getting no's, charge more. Mm -hmm. And 
it made me confident enough to say, hey, I, this is a custom cutting board. I don't have to charge $75 for it. I can charge $150 for it. And I can negotiate on price. I have plenty of wiggle room with my margins. But that's what they're worth. And yeah. you either take it or leave it. And I'm okay with you leaving it because yeah. I have another stream of income, which is the jewelry. And honestly, I don't sell the jewelry very expensively, but I do sell much more of it. Right. Like the jewelry is the bulk of the money. Yeah. You know, at least the bulk of my online sales. Sure. Yeah. So how do you, how, how, I, I'm trying to understand the mentality of it because I, again, I, I, it's, it's inspirational to me that you are going through this, what could be a very life ending because it's not as though they said yours is very treatable, but you had a friend who had the same thing and he's, had, he's gone now. So Labor Day, um, I was online and I just got, I was just inundated with messages. Did you hear about, you know, your friend? And I'm like, what happened? He died. And I was crushed. Mm. I was crushed. I was only, I was, um, this happened in September and I was still going through my second round of chemo at that point because the first round was only to give them margins to do the surgery. The second was to clean up what they didn't want to cut so that they didn't have to affect my quality of life. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through chemo all over again. And this round of chemo just was beyond brutal. Yeah. It was really, really hard. And I'm going through it and I find out about my friend and he's like, yeah, I'm going through it. I'm going to just kick its ass. And I'm like, okay, you don't know what you're in for, buddy. This is not easy. Because yeah. I had just been through the surgery. And, you know, the surgery basically crippled me. I wasn't walking for the entire surgery. Um, I got out of the hospital walking, but then, like, walking from my bedroom to my shower was exhausting. I couldn't do it. I almost had a heart attack walking from the shower back to my bed. Jeez. Like, I almost passed out. I was breathing so heavy. I could not catch my breath. I was not sleeping. I was eating through a feeding tube. And I'm like, and I said to him, I said, listen, I appreciate your gung-ho attitude, but you are not taking this seriously. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to fight this. I'm like, okay, man, I, you know what? I hope you do. And I'm in your corner. And if you want to talk, you let me know. And he didn't make it. Yeah. And that was probably the moment the moment the most where I was like good god I'm not dealing with like trivial things yeah. I'm dealing with life and death here yeah and it's funny that that was the moment right I came out of surgery and I was laying in recovery and I woke up and as soon as I woke up they swarm on you because like okay he's awake start putting tubes in taking tubes out checking everything they were running <laughs> I was in surgery for eight and a half hours and they were like, they wanted to make sure I didn't have blood clots in my legs. They wanted to make sure that my lungs were still functioning. They made, they were draining fluid out of my chest cavity. I had scars. I mean, I don't want to gross everyone, but I have scars in places. I don't even know why there's a scar there. I just know that they had something plugged into me, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm just, all I wanted was water. And they're like, we can't give you water. I knew I couldn't have food, but I just wanted water. Yeah. Eight hours with my mouth open and a tube in it. You know, I, I can't, ha you can't have water. I'm like, well, when can I have water? Can I have water tomorrow? And like, maybe not, probably for a couple of days. Whoa. And my eyes just widened and I started crying. I was like, please, I, I have to have something. And they're like, we can't give you anything. Because what happens is, and I learned this, when you have your, when you have this surgery, there's two sections. There's the section at the top of your stomach and the section that goes down into your, where your stomach was. And when they connect those, if you have water and water gets in between where those two sections meet, you can have major complications. It could require them reopening you. It could require more invasive surgery. So what they do is they do the surgery and then you just you go with God and hope yeah. that the IV is enough to sustain you until 
they do um, they hit you with a fluoroscope they make you drink some stuff and they hit you with a fluoroscope and they watch to see if there's any leakage around the incision and it was funny because I was doing physical therapy because I couldn't walk I couldn't move I couldn't move I had no use of my right arm um, because one of the tubes was pinching a nerve and they couldn't do anything about it. It's like the only way we could fix it is to take it out. They said, the good news is when you leave and we take it out, you're going to feel fine. The bad news is there's nothing we could do about it right now. So I was in excruciating pain, and they weren't allowed to give me painkillers. Jeez. I couldn't have any painkillers, none. The most they would give That's me was insane. Tylenol. So I was just, you know, the first time they came to get me for physical therapy, I thought my arm broke when I because I went to lean on it to turn around in the bed. It was, it was brutal. But once I started getting normal liquids in, I was able to finish physical therapy. I walked out of the hospital on the 10th day. I walked out. I was sitting there, I was sitting there with my wife and I said, what, is, what do we have to do? Like, is patient transport gonna come up? And the nurse goes, well, we can wait. We'd have to wait about an hour, but they'll bring a chair up for you. I said, screw that, I'm getting out of here. Like, I want out. I've been in here 10 days. I need out of this place now. And they're like, you sure? And I'm like, yes. And I walked out of yeah. the hospital after the 10 days. And so the point I the point I want to drive home for everybody is just number one the what do you think the mindset needs to be for someone in, who's going through what you went through because what I find fascinating is that you have survived it you are now you know free of the cancer it while you were going through that you were building the business and working on your dream and turning mm -hmm. what was kind of a side little thing into what will be a full-time business at some point mm -hmm. um what is what is the what are the most important takeaways that you had from this whole experience on how how someone needs to think and how someone needs to act if they want to survive i think the thing that i learned the most is that your biggest limiting factor is your own mind like if you tell yourself you can't do something you won't be able to do it no matter whether you're able to do it or not and i'm not one i'm not like all happy, happy sunshine, you know, it's going to happen if you just believe it hard enough. No, you got to put in the work. But if you put in the work, you're going to get the result you want. You just have to like put your nose to the grindstone and just do it. Just stop thinking about what you want. Thinking about what you want is fine. It's good for planning. But doing what you want is where the reward comes from. You don't get anything from thinking. Thinking is nice. It's nice to have a plan. But, you know, what's your plan doing aside from being a plan? It means nothing. Mm -hmm. And if I can do this while I'm getting chemo, while I'm getting radiation, while I'm, while I'm recovering from surgery, while I'm working a day job, you know, what's your excuse? And I'm not saying that to be mean, but really, you really need to evaluate. If you want to start a business, you have to look at what's stopping you because it's probably not what's really stopping you. Yeah. It's probably up here. Or, or anything else. I mean, I, I, I use biz, the business only because that was what you did, right? right? But I, I think about it just in terms of, of the mindset of someone who, who, who wants to succeed at anything that they're involved with. One of the things you said before the show started was you said uh, one of your biggest takeaways was that we, we don't get to choose what happens mm -hmm. to us, but we get to choose how we respond mm -hmm. to that. And that really makes the difference. I, that was why I, I'm very big on the, I didn't want to waste what little energy I had because I knew it was only going to get worse, you know, sitting there feeling sorry for myself because I could have done that. A lot of people do that. It's not uncommon, but what would that have gotten me? I would have just been the same situation. It, didn't, it wouldn't have cured anything. It wouldn't have made me feel better, and it wouldn't have gotten rid of anything. 
I just would have been sitting there sad. Yeah. Like, that's not a way to live. I remember, this is going to sound like like really weird. It's an odd transition. But I remember watching when I was, I think it was in the military by the time I saw the 13th Warrior or the 13th, it's the Antonio Banderas movie where he was with the Vikings. Look up the name of it. But there's a scene in the movie where they're waiting for the attack to come. The 13th Warrior. The 13th Warrior. Okay. So they're sitting there waiting for the attack to come, and you can tell he's really nervous or something, and he's laying next to the guy, and the guy says, um, he says, fear profits man nothing. And I thought it was the sickest line I'd ever heard. That's great. And I've used that, not that, that line, but that mentality. There are many, many times when I was building my business and when I was going through my divorce and everything that was going on in my life where I would wake up just in, in panic, it's stressed out and worried about the future and what was going to happen. And I found a lot of solace in this idea that fear profits man nothing, that I gain nothing through the fear. Right. If I'm afraid of something happening, I need to develop an action plan for to prevent it. Right. And so there were many a times when I was up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., because I woke up worried, and I immediately set that aside and said, okay, time to take action. Time, yeah. what, what can I do? And there are times when you can do nothing. It's like you said, when you when we started the conversation, you're like, I realize that I you don't fight cancer, right. that the doctors fight the cancer, and your job is to do what they're telling you to do yeah. and to try and stay mentally together. And so there are times when you can't do anything. And even then it doesn't profit you to be to be afraid or to live in fear. Fear is a good fear is a good motivator. But if you're using the fear if you're not using the fear to motivate you to get rid of what's causing the fear, then it's doing nothing for you. Right. It's just another distraction when you don't need one, you know? And I was, I mean, I was, after my friend died, I was like scared. I was well past where he was when he died. And I was scared that it's like, this is going to end badly for me. Yeah. And that's when I started like running. I was like, I'm going to get in better shape now. Like I'm, I'm, I be, I'm going to beat the cancer. It's pretty, it was pretty obvious at that point that the can, the chemo was going to kill what little was left. Yeah. Um, and actually in October, right before you were on my show, um, I got the green light and it said, yep, cancer's gone. And now I just have to go for periodic testing. And in February, if I'm still clear, I'm done. I'm nice. completely done. They're going to take the port out. I'm completely done. So I started running. Like I, I said, the one thing I can do, I can run. Like, and I thought I could. And wow, was I not in shape to do that? <laughs> like you realize how out of shape you are the first time you try to run. And I did a program called Couch to 5K. And I remember going through the first week and thinking, oh, this is a breeze. Like, I got this. I started the second week and I was like, oh, God, I'm dead. <laughs> like, I'm screwed. What am I going to do? But so I did the first week over a few times. And all of a sudden, this body that was way, may have been lighter, but it wasn't in good shape. All of a sudden, I could feel the progression. And I was, now I was putting in the work. Like, mm-hmm. now it's like, I'm, I'm not just living anymore. I'm not just surviving. Now I'm thriving. Right. Like, and I was motivated. Like, I am going to do a 5K by April. About the middle of October, I said, screw April. I'm doing one in December. I am going to set a hard deadline for myself. And December 8th, December 8th I ran my first 5K. That's that's what I mean that it, there's <laughs> that's that's what is amazing to me is that you have since October gone through chemo had your stomach your esophagus removed 
have gone through the entire healing process, started a business, grew that business, started a podcast, grown that podcast, and now you ran a 5K. Yeah. And you're in the best shape of your life, and it's it. I mean, I, I don't know any. I don't know anybody who's done more than that in in the last <laughs> good year, eight, 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 ten, twelve months. But I mean, if you haven't, if you have, then you ought to you ought to let me know about it because that's the <laughs> most incredible story that I can remember hearing. Just it's, it's and that's why I say I wanted. I want people to understand, like, you have been an inspiration to me when I look at what I'm doing. And I, I, I look at, you know, when I when I start to question my work ethic and when I start to, oh, well, I just, I'm doing too much. I got to pull it back. I got to take a break. I mean, I'm reminded of your story. And, and I say, hey, look, he's been doing, Vince has been doing all this while fighting cancer. <laughs> so maybe you don't complain so much. Maybe, yeah. maybe you just keep, maybe you just keep driving. I was so, un I get so uncomfortable, you know, when people call me an inspiration, like, but I start, I've started to understand why, yeah. like, I, the you understand. You understand the importance of them being able to do that, right? Because you've said those things to me, and I. It makes me as uncomfortable as it makes you, it's right? Crazy, but yeah. is we need that those people. The gravity of what I was going through, and this is this is my biggest takeaway that's really started to hit me since it's kind of over. Because it is kind of over right. now. Um, the gravity of what I went through didn't hit me while I was going through it. It really didn't, except for that moment after my friend died. It was just like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just doing, I'm following the program, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm following it like a star pupil. I'm being the best patient that's ever existed on this planet because I want to live. But it, there was no gravity to it. It didn't feel like life and death. There were moments where I felt like I might die, but I didn't feel like I was fighting for my life. I always felt like I was just doing what I do. Right. When you take the whole year as a package and you look back on it, you go, whoa. Like, if you told me I was going to do all that this year, I would have gone, no, you aren't. Are you crazy? You know, that was the old me. The old me is like, you can't do that. The new me is, why not? Well, there's a life lesson in there, too, which is if you, if you try and look at the whole picture, it seems daunting and overwhelming, and, and there's yeah. no reason. You, you can't even start. But yeah. if you just take the first take step pieces. and then another step, day by day, hour by hour sometimes, that, that's what generates the results. When I talked to the surgeon, when I talked to the surgeon, the, you know, he, said, he said the C word. He said chemotherapy. And you know, people think of chemotherapy as this terrible thing that's going to be like, you know, and it was in the 1980s, all your hair falls out and you, you're super sick all the time. And I, I literally, tears started running down my eyes. And he goes, what's the matter? I said, I'm scared to death of chemo. Like, it's going to kill me. He goes, no, it's not. He goes, thinking. He goes, you're thinking chemo in the 80s. He goes, chemo's hard. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. He goes, but it's not going to kill you. He goes, chemo's probably the thing that's going to help you the most. And it's like, you know, he said, stop worrying about everything going on. Let's get through chemo and radiation. Stop worrying about the surgery. Stop worrying about this. We're going to get you hooked up with an oncologist, and we're going to get you started working on this. And that was like, okay, yeah, he's right. Stop thinking about the surgery. The surgery's out there. That's something in the future. Let's work on this part, which is chemo and radiation. And it made it so much more manageable mm -hmm. to take it in small chunks. First, we're going to deal with chemo and radiation. Then we're going to have the surgery. Then we're going to have two months of recovery. Then you're going to go back to work and everything's going to be pretty much normal except for the way you eat. And then, you know, you're going to go on and you'll do your, you'll start your business. You'll really get your business rolling, which I did. You're going you're gonna to get in the best shape, which I've done. And now it's like, I feel like, wow, anything is, even something that big, if you chunk it down, 
suddenly becomes a whole lot more manageable. Yeah. What so? How do how do people find out? How do they stay up to date with you? How do they find out about what you're doing in your business? How do they support you in that? Or if they want to, like, if they're in the same boat as you and they're do, doing something similar, how do they find the podcast? Uh, the podcast is at becausewemake.com. Um, we do an episode. We drop an episode every Wednesday, except this Wednesday, for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, and you can find my personal website, vincentmferrari.com. That's where the shop is. If hey. Guys, if you want to buy something, I would really appreciate it. Because Vincent M. Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari like the car. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Man, thanks for coming well, all the way so out here. Thank you so much for having thanks me. Thanks for being I mean, part of the show. You are, I always call, I've, there is only one person in the world I call my mentor, and it's you. And <laughs> You see how uncomfortable I'm you're making me now. <laughs> well, it's, it's so I was sitting outside, I was sitting outside, and I'm watching your hand through the window, yeah. and I'm like, oh my God, he's 25 feet away from me. And then you opened the door when you finished the last episode, and I was just like, oh my God, he's right in front of me. <laughs> like, is that I've, the way you feel mad every time you see I, me? No. Yeah. I've met, the funny thing is, and, and you know, this is not me kissing your butt, because I don't have to kiss your butt, but... I I've met a lot of celebrities, but I've never been as starstruck as I was meeting you. It was just it's such an honor to finally meet you and talk to you and have this conversation. It, it was I was so I was like instead of doing this remotely, why don't I come out? It'd be a good excuse to meet Jason. And like yeah, he was like yeah, okay, cool, we'll work it out. And I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you. you did, man. I'm so glad you did. And uh, you know I I got a feeling this won't be the last conversation that we have, but I want I you to not. thank you for coming in and telling your story because. There are going to be a lot like like when we talked with the with the coach, you know, and that had that spoke to you at just the right Deeply. moment. You never know. I walked away from that conversation thinking, okay, that was decent, and it was it and a life changing effect moved for me you. beyond yeah. what I can even explain how yeah. much it moved me. I've tried to tell her that, but I I've sent her messages to yeah. tell her that. I don't know if she ever got them, but it really did move yeah. me and you and you never know and and your story is going to be that inspiration to somebody else so i i appreciate you coming in and, and so. being part of it all right uh quick, yeah before you go for the sake of the title you have to tell people who fred is oh was. yeah so one of the cancer one of the cancer um coping mechanisms that people have is they they name their tumor so it's an, it becomes an external thing so i named my tumor fred for Drop Dead Fred. I love it. The whole thing was about me killing Fred. So that's where the title comes from. I can't from. believe I forgot that. That was a really important <laughs> Yeah, that would have made no sense to, to anyone. Title, right? <laughs> cool. Well, all right, everybody. Thank you so very much for being here. I appreciate you all. We will see you after the holiday. Uh, do we? I don't even remember what the first day after Christmas is that we'll be back. It's the Monday after Christmas. You got this whole week. Go enjoy your family, and we'll get right back to, uh, you know, making life-changing stuff happen uh, right after the new year. So until then, guys, be safe, be good. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you soon.